There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Denver, Colorado, today as I'm doing some consulting out here. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping leaders and organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think contributes to or expands this conversation. And as a management consultant and social scientist, I draw on the meaning work research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as my own consulting, speaking, and work developing workforces across the globe. I'll get to my program in just a moment, but let me take my sponsor, Recover Mattress. As an athlete and very active professional myself, I know the importance of good sleep, and Recover Mattress is a hybrid mattress designed specifically to improve sleep for muscle recovery for active lifestyles. You can learn more about the story of how this company was founded and the mattresses they make by visiting recovermattress.com. There's no E after the V, by the way. And if you do decide to buy a mattress, you can enjoy a 50% discount by using the code WOP50, short for Working on Purpose 50% Off. Enjoy. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Brian Honorio, who is an entrepreneur currently serving as the founder and CEO of Proposa, a best-in-class SaaS solution for building stunningly beautiful proposals in half the time. We talked about his journey as an entrepreneur, starting his first company at age 24, and what he's learned along the way that fortified him as a business owner. Great conversation. Very inspiring. With us this week is Mac Pritchard, the founder and publisher of MaxList, an online community for people looking for rewarding, creative, and meaningful work. He is the author of Land Your Dream Job Anywhere and hosts the weekly podcast, Find Your Dream Job. We'll be talking about the ways he helps the unique set of job seekers in today's marketplace, get some advice on networking and interviewing, and also hear his experience in helping people change careers when they're lost or want to discover their purpose. He joins us today from Portland, Oregon, one of my favorite cities I've lived in for years, Mac, welcome to Working on Purpose. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I am too, and I, you know I'm a big fan of your work, and I'm so happy to get to share you with our listeners across the globe, Mac. I think that, as you, well, as you know, work is really, really important to me. It's a, a big way we spend our lives, and I really appreciate the work that you do to help others more meaningfully connect with it. So I want to I see what kind of wisdom we can extract from you in about an hour. Are you ready? I'm ready, and of course, we're both graduates of the University of Iowa, so we're very bright people, right? (laughs) (laughs) We are very bright people. Very bright people. Yeah, Um, the Harvard of the Midwest. (laughs) I love that. I'm so going to steal that. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Well, since we've graduated, you've obviously made a a beautiful career for yourself, and, and you've established yourself as a career expert, and I'm interested, of course, in, in the beginnings, how you got started in this space and, and what it is that you love about staying in the space and helping so many people find their way in the world of work. Well, I have been blessed to have a, a very uh, good career, but I want to be candid. Yeah, I, I've had my ups and downs, and I'd learned about job hunting and, and came to find myself giving people advice about their careers because I'd learned the lessons the hard way. I've been unemployed twice, and I know what it's like uh, to cash that unemployment check. I did it last unemployment check, rather. I did it once, and I came close within one check of doing it another time. And those experiences taught me 
really two important lessons. Uh, one was that I needed to master job hunting as a skill. And the, the second lesson was that the best jobs are filled by word of mouth. So our challenge when we're out there looking for work is we've got to grow and tap into our networks. And even when we're not looking for work, we've got to think about our networks and how we can be of service to others. And when you do that, uh, great opportunities result. Uh, and it's for, for my career, I'm been in the workplace now for 40 years. Uh, when I got out of the University of Iowa, I wanted to do three things. I wanted to work on election campaigns. I wanted to write for a living. And I wanted to do human rights advocacy uh, in Latin America. And I've been able to do all three. Uh, but again, it, it hasn't been a 45-degree angle. There have been lots of uh, valleys along the way as well as some peaks. You know, I really appreciate that, Mac, because I think for a lot of listeners, when they see someone who's as accomplished as you are, they get intimidated and think, you know, gosh, I can't possibly, you know, approximate that or ever go in that direction. And when you let us know that you've had your share of bruises and scrapes along the way, like I certainly have too, it just makes you more accessible. So I really appreciate you starting with that. That's just gorgeous. Thank you. You're welcome. And again, uh, the gift that I got from those hard experiences, and nobody likes to come home and tell their spouse they've lost their job, uh, is I, I did Learn, I did get serious about learning for work, looking for work rather, and that that has served me so well in my career. And the people I see who thrive and enjoy professional success learn that lesson too. How beautiful! Well, there's nothing like I really see this, Mac, for myself. Is that there's something about whatever it is that we need or want desperately to learn for ourselves that gives us a sense of purpose to serve other people. I, I've seen that borne out time and time again, and it's true for me too. It is, and I think people, everybody hungers for a purpose in their work, and it doesn't mean that you have to go overseas and work in a refugee camp or in, 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 a, in, a, uh, in a shelter helping people who are homeless. Those are important jobs, and, and I appreciate the people who are called to do that work, but we can find a purpose and meaning in, in any job. Uh, there's, there's value and in, in dignity that comes with work. And I think the people who recognize that and make that part of their work day uh, get an extra pleasure out of their work that uh, others often miss. I completely agree with that, Mac, and it was borne out in my research. I won't go into that now because I want to focus on, on you and your, your message, but completely know that we as human beings construe meaning. And we could put meaning into everything and everything, and we do. So, yes, agreed. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you this question that's been perplexing me, Mac. It's just, I just really am scratching my head on this, and I'd like to know from your perspective, because you're in the trenches with people. Um, in a job market that supposedly is 3.8% unemployment, that just is such a remarkably low number, it seems like it still takes people a good while to actually land a job. And so I'm wondering, is this a myth that I've created in my own mind? If I'm in my, Am I reading the wrong newspapers? What's so about how long it takes these days to find work? Well, I, I think there are some occupations, uh, particularly service or entry-level positions, that you can get on the same day or the next day after filling out an application. For professional jobs, even in an unemployment rate uh, this low, uh, it, it can take two, three, or even more months for a position to get filled. And I think what's happening here is most managers follow that old rule, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with it, which is hire slow, fire fast. And the, the reasoning behind that is 
hiring is expensive and you want to get it right. And because if you don't get it right, uh, it often takes you three to six months to figure out if you've made a mistake as a manager. And nobody likes that, neither the manager nor the the, unsuc- uh, uh, the person you eventually might let go. Uh, and then you got to start all o- over again. So even in a job market like this, we are seeing employers think uh, carefully before they make offers to candidates. And I have to imagine that the more senior you are, the longer it takes. Well, think about the logistics that are involved. You know, you you, you post an ad, uh, you probably allow two to three weeks for people to respond. It takes you another two to three weeks to sort through the resumes, perhaps do the first round of phone interviews, and then you might begin a uh, uh, the, the personal interviews. And before you know it, you're in month three and, and uh, before perhaps you're ready to make an offer. Uh, and if you're looking for people for positions that, uh, you know, that are particularly sensitive, you might invest more time in it. Uh, and, you know, in, uh, along the way, in addition to public postings, managers who are doing hiring are also tapping their own personal networks and sending out emails, asking for recommendations from colleagues. And I know we're going to talk more about that, but that's a big part of how the so-called hidden job market works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's move a little bit now into some of the some of the markets that you serve, some of the people that you serve, Mac. I'm just amazed and blown away by the swath of people that you serve. So near and dear to my, my heart are, are millennials because in part I, I serve as an adjunct professor at the Southern Methodist University here in Dallas and love working with that, with that new group of hungry people coming into the workforce. Um, but I like to keep the show as actionable for people and pointers. They walk away with stuff they can use immediately. Um, so what are some of the key pointers you impart to help this particular group find their first job? I think there are three important points millennials need to keep in mind, particularly when they're coming right out of college, but also in the early years of their career. When you're doing a job search, and this is true no matter what your age, you've got to have a goal. Um, I meet so many younger job seekers who when I say, well, what are you looking for? What, what kind of position do you want? The answer is often, well, I'm keeping my options open or uh, I'm not sure. And I get it. It's hard to make choices. But unless you're specific about what you want, you're going to end up applying everywhere and exhaust yourself in the process. You also make it difficult for people to help you. And people do want to help. Um, besides having a goal, I think the second most important point for millennials is recognize that your first job doesn't have to be a dream job. Uh, You you need to get started. You're likely going to be in the workplace for uh, 30 or 40 years, and that means you're probably going to have 8, 10, or maybe even a dozen different positions. To get the dream job, there might be a a couple steps you have to take first professionally in your early and mid-20s to land that position. Identify what that job is, and then use old-fashioned reverse mapping to figure out how you need to get there, what what steps you have to take, either educational tr- credentials or internships or volunteer experiences. But don't be disappointed if uh, your first job out of college is a, a good entry-level position in your field. It's, it's, it's a starter position, and again, I want to underscore the importance of knowing where you want to go. You want that position to support the journey you want to take in your career. Uh, the third thing is, uh, I would say to millennials, 
you got to master job hunting as a skill early, not not by trial and error, not because you've been unemployed for seven or eight months, as happened to me and happens to so many other people. Invest the time to uh, go in your career services office at your university. And if you graduated a year or two ago, go back. They, most colleges uh, are happy to serve grads and happy to connect you with people uh, in their community and, and among their uh, alumni. The sooner you learn how to look for work and do career planning well, uh, the more successful you're going to be in your career. Why, it's, it's a lesson you've got to learn. Why not learn it in your early 20s when you're starting out and then you'll benefit the most from it? Mm-hmm. Agreed. I tell my students that work is, is, is an enormous socialization opportunity. And, and the better, the sooner they can socialize themselves into the marketplace through their connections and, as you say, to alumni, the, the school, the better off they'll be to other prospective employers. And, and I find that a lot of the younger people are nervous about that aspect. I, I can understand. It's, it's new and unfamiliar, and it can be intimidating. Uh, mm-hmm. So... I think it's important to remember that uh, generally people want to be helpful. You, and the more specific, again, you are about what you need help with and what your challenges are, uh, the more helpful people can be to you. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, let's hit this next question, and then we'll, we'll take a quick break here. I, I want to talk about um, those midlife professionals who are considering or oftentimes choose to start a whole new career. They are reinventing themselves. They've had enough of where they're at, and they're like, I'm ready to move on. What advice or points can you share here with us to help those people? I think it's important to do your homework. So sometimes uh, an opportunity, if you've never had the experience of doing the work, can sound pretty glamorous. Uh, And before you make that leap and either... Uh, try to move into a new sector or perhaps invest in a small business or go to a new part of the country, uh, find out what that work is really like. And the best way to do it is to talk to people who have, or who are either doing it, uh, doing the career you want to move into, or, uh, or uh, have, have made a switch like you want to do. Uh, because you, you don't want to you want to be clear about what's involved and what it's going to take to be successful. This is where informational interviews can be uh, really helpful. And again, if you know exactly what you want to do, find people who have done it, spend time uh, talking to them about how they made that switch, what challenges they faced, what objections they had to overcome if they were uh, when they sat down with hiring managers who were considering their applications. How did they overcome those objections? And I think you want to do that homework up front. You don't want to use your job search process when you're trying to change sectors as a kind of um, research project. Yes, you should be asking lots of questions along the way, but get the fundamentals uh, uh, right from the start because you don't want to invest a lot of time applying for positions in a new sector and discover that's really not a good fit. Agreed, agreed. All right, well, let's grab a quick break here. There's more I want to ask about some of the other, other groups that you serve, but let's grab our first break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on here with Matt Pritchard, who is the founder and publisher of MaxList, an online community for people looking for rewarding, creative, and meaningful work. He's the author of Land Your Dream Job Anywhere and hosts the weekly podcast, Find Your Dream Job. 
You can access a free chapter of the book by visiting Mac, maxlist.org forward slash working on purpose. Again, that's maxlist, M-A-C-S-L-I-S-T dot org forward slash working on purpose. He joins us today from Portland, Oregon. After the break, we'll hear more about a few more of those segments that he served and then get into networking and interviewing. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. My guest is Mac Richard, who is the founder and publisher of MaxList, an online community for people with creative and meaningful work. A leading career expert, Mac helps people who are looking for a job during all of life's transitions. Millennials getting a first job, midlife professionals switching sectors, parents getting back to work after raising a family, or baby boomers who want to change careers. He's proud to own two registered B Corp companies, which use the power of markets to solve social and environmental problems. We've been talking to you about some of the audiences that he serves. We'll continue that conversation. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. All right. So, Mac, um, before we broke, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the, 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 some of the people that you serve career-wise um, who maybe have left the workforce to, to raise families. And maybe it's been five years, maybe it's been 10 years. How do you help those people? Well, the first question people in those circumstances often face is, do they want to go back to their old job or their or their former field? And it's an important question to ask yourself. Uh, it's not uncommon, as we talked about before the break, for people to want to make career changes after 10 or 15 years uh, in the workforce. So the way to, uh, again, settle that question is, is be clear about what you want to do next and invest the time in goal setting and uh, particularly if you've been out of the workforce for for five or ten years you might want to step back and do some self-assessment and and some reflection before you go out and begin your search Um, because if you're going to make a career pivot that's a different job search strategy than one where you're looking for a position in your your the field that you left when you uh, took the break I think that's true for both men and women. Um, for women, there are a couple of special challenges. Uh, you know, after a break, often whatever your gender, you, you, your professional network might not be as strong as it was before you took time away. Uh, but you need to recognize the value of the new networks that you might have created while you were working in the home. And uh, especially for women, often this takes the form of service on community boards or um, involvement in schools or faith-based groups or connections with other other parents. You know, uh, uh, mommy groups can be a very powerful uh, force. Um, so those are things to think about. 
Hmm. Beautiful advice. I really appreciate that. And I think a lot of the women out there that are in transition will, will certainly appreciate that. I've seen several women take those very skills, Mac, and transition them, the community service, the leadership, the fundraising, and turn them into very successful jobs. I mean, really successful jobs. So that's really great to presence for our, our, our parents out there that are considering go, going back. Um, what about the baby boomers who lose their job? Maybe, maybe not by choice or maybe by choice. What about them? Well, uh, baby boomers, you know, they face a special challenge. Uh, ageism is real. Our research shows it's a fact, and it's illegal. Uh, you could sue, but chances are you would invest a lot of time and energy in lawsuits, and that would be better well-served focusing on your job search. So I think when boomers are either looking for their next position or they've lost a job and they're they're looking for something new, they got to think about the concerns that hiring managers have about uh, this generation, and and I'm a member of it. Uh, There are a lot of misconceptions out there about boomers, um, you know, that they have too much experience. They're going to have high salary expectations. They have extra health care costs. They might be inflexible. Um, they're, they're going to be uncomfortable working for a younger supervisor. Maybe their uh, manager is concerned that someone is just looking for a place to coast for a couple of years until Medicare and Social Security kicks in. Um, so how do you how do you deal with that? Nobody is ever going to tell you that. Uh, so you need to consider those objections and those misconceptions and make sure that your application materials and your presentations during interviews and your contacts with the employer um, addresses those. And you, know, you need to make sure that you, you demonstrate that you're a lifelong learner, that you like new challenges, that you've had experience working for supervisors of different ages, um, that you know, you're, uh, if you're looking for a position that involves a pay cut, you need to be clear about why you're excited about that opportunity and, and the pay cut doesn't bother you. Um, and you can do this, again, in your interviews, your application materials, cover letters, and, and the like. Beautiful. Very beautiful. And I do agree with you that the ageism, I didn't know about the research, but I certainly do anecdotally believe that it's very real based on the conversations I have with people. So I appreciate just surfacing that. It, it, it's so, so just deal with it. <laughs> also, for baby boomers, uh, in addition to dealing with those misconceptions, it, they especially need to invest in looking for what are often called the hidden jobs, the ones that are filled by word of mouth, because human connection is so powerful, Elise, and if you can get in front of a hiring manager and, and make your case, you're going to be persuasive if, if you're an effective presenter, no matter what your age, but especially, I think, uh, for, for older job, job seekers. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that hidden job market, Max. So some of, the, some of the people who are listening to this might be going, what do you mean there's a hidden job market? Or, oh, I yeah. thought that existed. So first, what do you mean by that term, hidden job market? Well, these are the positions that are never posted. Uh, they don't appear on job boards or in old-fashioned newspaper ads. Uh, and they're filled by word of mouth. And I, you know, we talked a little bit about MaxList, the company I run. It's a website that serves people in the Pacific Northwest, and we have a job board. We publish about 500 positions a month, and I'm very proud of the value we provide uh, in that board. And I hear from 
job seekers all the time how much they appreciate those listings. But I'm always um, concerned when they tell me they're spending 100% of their time looking at job boards like mine because there are estimates out there that as many as 80% of all jobs are filled by word of mouth. Now, maybe the number is 50% or 60 or 70. Whatever the figure, you need to look at how you spend your time. And too many job seekers are are spending their days, 100% of their search, looking at listings online, applying online, and they need to step away from the computer and invest in things like informational interviews, networking, and volunteering in their field that are going to help them grow their professional networks and uh, have conversations with people who are filling those jobs that are filled by word of mouth. You know, Mac, you're just reminding me, before you and I got on on the air here to have this conversation, I was talking with a girlfriend of mine, and her husband is schooled as a mechanical engineer and then has spent years in the innovation creativity space and was literally just having a conversation with somebody else in, in their community um, in the financial services space. And they were talking about how they were developing business and such. And this guy being this guy runs off and does some research, comes back and he goes, you know what, I think I know what what's going on here. I think I know what the issue is for you guys. And they turned around, Mac, and said, guess what? We need to hire you. We like how you think. That's the kind of thinking we need here. We didn't. We weren't planning on hiring, but what do you think? And he's been on board now for a couple of months and having a ball. Perfect yeah. example of, of, well, it's not even a hidden job market. It wasn't even, he created his own position by having a conversation with someone and then taking his past experience and way of thinking it, thinking about it and applying it in a whole different space that adds a whole new range of value. And think, I know you've done a lot of hiring in your career, and I know you have many listeners who have, too. Think about the times that we're filling a, a position in, in our team or our company. We all take that posting, and we send it to a few people, don't we, Elise? And we sure. say, uh, do you know of anybody who's good? Uh, can you send good candidates my way? Uh, and if somebody responds and says, you should talk to Mary, or have you have you checked in with John? And and if Mary sends in a resume, you're probably going to walk that to the HR person and say, "We, I think we should take a look at this application." Absolutely, absolutely. And, that's and so, how, how the hidden job market works? It's through connections, and 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 they're often the weakest of ties. But the principle that's driving it is this: people hire people they know or they hire people who are recommended to people by people they trust. Now, getting uh, someone to walk your resume to the HR manager isn't going to get you the job, but it probably will get your resume a, a long, hard look and may lead to a phone screener. There are other things that you can do to increase the odds of actually getting an interview, and I know we're going to talk about those too. Well, let's talk about networking next, because that certainly strikes me, you know, when you talk about getting yourself into a place where somebody would actually refer you, that means that somewhere there's been some kind of a conversation where you're even present on their radar. And so I know that one of your famous things is you've got some some tips about helping it and techniques to help people get more comfortable with networking. As we talked about already, my, my students, the young ones that are just coming into the marketplace are horrified by that. Sometimes they come back and they say, oh, my gosh, they call me Dr. C. Dr. C, that was so fun. I thought I was going to be terrible at it, but I made some new friends. I'm like, I know. Isn't it beautiful? So <laughs> what, what can you tell us about making networking more enjoyable or productive? Well, first of all, successful networking isn't 
the way we're, we probably imagine it, which is the function room at the Holiday Inn at the airport. <laughs> and we've all been in that room, and there's always somebody walking around collecting business cards. And they think that success is the number of cards they take home that night. And that's, that's not how effective networking works. It's about relationships, and it's a long game. Uh, but you can go to an event in your field, uh, and maybe it's a happy hour, maybe it's a conference, uh, maybe it's the, the monthly lunch program. And you need to walk in the room with some kind of goal. Maybe you want to have meet one or two new people. Maybe you know that your dream is to work at uh, uh, Nike, uh, a big employer out here in Oregon, and the, the MC of that month's lunch program uh, works at Nike. And so you have an opportunity to go up and chat with that person and begin to connect and build a relationship with them. Because one day you might want to work in that company or, or indeed that is your goal. So if you walk into that room focusing on relationships and knowing who you want to connect with or just being open to uh, engaging conversations with people in your field, that could be a very successful uh, networking event. Uh, and it, it, that, and it takes time to build those ties, but it, it will pay dividends for years to come. Mm, I think that is incredibly sage advice, going in looking for relationships, not a job or not a connection to get you something. I think that's gorgeous, Mac. Yeah. I do encourage people, if, if there is a company where you want to work and you have, through your homework... Uh, identified that the leaders of that company are involved in a professional association or serve on the board of that group, and you want to build a genuine relationship with them, don't be shy about going to those events and and introducing yourself and looking for ways uh, that you can build that relationship. Maybe it's by offering to uh, do a project for the association or maybe put together the following month's lunch program. When you are of service to others like that, you show them what you can do and you're giving without any expectation of getting in return and you're, you're building a, a tie and people are going to think of you uh, uh, and be not only grateful for the work that you've done for that group, but when uh, they, they're also going to be happy to speak with you if uh, you want to get their insights about your job search or uh, uh, their advice about opportunities in the field. And it begins with service uh, but it can it can uh, help your career along the way. I love that. I do love the idea of offering service. And what I often tell my students is even to open the conversation is to simply, especially if they're more introverted and uncomfortable talking with new people, is to employ a really lovely dose of curiosity. Go into the conversation curious. Who are you? What are you up to? What do you put yourself into in life? And I feel like if you can do, if you can come at the conversation to even start from the vantage point of being curious about who you're you're talking with, that's a it's a great way to start. And then offering that service, I think that that's a pretty pretty good one-two punch. I think. Yeah, that's great advice you're offering about asking about others because, candidly, and I say this respectfully, uh, people love to talk about themselves, and most people are uncomfortable or a little ill at ease at at networking events. And so if you come prepared with a few general questions, just icebreakers, uh, you know, tell me about yourself, what brought you here tonight, how long have you been involved in the association, is this your first time at the conference, people will 
it, it puts people at ease. It makes them feel comfortable, and it it allows a conversation to begin. Uh, I and I would say about networking too, and we've touched on this in discussing service. It's not a uh, it's not all about asking others for help. It's also about giving and and being of service to others too. I really appreciate that. Let's, for this time being here, let's take our last break here, Mac. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've on the air with Mac Pritchard, who is the founder and publisher of Mac's List, an online community for people looking for rewarding, creative, and meaningful work. He's the author of Land Your Dream Job Anywhere and hosts the weekly podcast, Find Your Dream Job. You can access a free chapter of his book by visiting maxlist.org forward slash working on purpose. So it's M-A-C-S-L-I-S-T dot org forward slash working on purpose. Mac joined us today from Portland, Oregon. After the break, we will talk about the interviewing that we mentioned before and some more aspects of working on purpose. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. My guest is Mac Pritchard, the founder and publisher of MaxList, an online community for supporting creative and meaningful work. A leading career expert, Mac helps people who are looking for a job during all of life's transitions. Millennials getting a first job, midlife professionals switching sectors, parents getting back to work after raising a family, or boomers who want to change careers. He is proud to own two registered B Corp companies, which use the power of markets to solve social and environmental problems. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, Mac, I want to get into two things. One is the, the art of interviewing, and then two, really getting into some of the things that really get to purpose. Interviewing, yes. Every, I, I don't know too many people who don't get nervous about interviews. Um, so talk to us about that art. The section that you that you talk about in your site that boasts how to nail a job interview would be really useful to hear right about now for some people listening. Well, first of all, don't wing it. Uh, and I, it's shocking to me how many people walk into an interview room unprepared. And I, I think it happens in large part because people are nervous and they're not sure how to prepare. And, and the good news is there, there are lots of books out there and Again, you can go to your college career services office or, or a local employment department and get advice about how to uh, prepare for an interview. Um, I think a couple principles to keep in mind as you prepare, employers hire problem solvers, and that means you need to know the employer's problems and challenges, and you've got to show how you can solve them. You, you're in that room because you've got the qualifications. Your credentials are good. Now you're competing probably with three to five other people, and you've got to stand out. You've got to draw the employer out about their challenges and share your own ideas 
and experiences that show how you can help make that person's life easier. So to do that, you got to do basic research. You know, look at the company website, check the LinkedIn profiles of the interviewers. It's okay to ask when the interviewer is scheduled who you're going to be meeting with, who's going to be in the room, the names. Um, you know, check out that firm online. Spend you know half half an hour, an hour on just basic research. You'll want to find out uh, either through online research or through contacts with people who know that company about, again, the challenges the company faces. And you can find those contacts by looking on LinkedIn and see who you might be connected to inside that firm. Um, that can be helpful, too, in, in, in references later if there are people who know about your work. So after you do your research, you've got you to have a strategy, focus on the employer's problems, think about what you have to offer, and then prepare for the common questions you're going to get. And these are easy to find. Just Google you know, 10 most common questions in interviews, and they're basic things like, why do you want the job? Why are you, why are you leaving your current position? What do you hope to, where do you hope to be in five years? Practice your answers to these things. Um, be ready to answer them. You probably won't be asked all of them, but you want to be ready. You also need to have your own set of questions about the, the company and the job. And again, these should come back to the challenges and the, uh, uh, the, the results that the employer hopes this person is going to produce. Here's my favorite interview question of all time, Elise. Um, when you have a moment after you've answered the question and perhaps asked a few basic ones about the company and, and the position, say to the hiring manager this, if I'm fortunate enough to get this job and you and I are sitting down in a year's time, what are the three things you'll want me to tell you I've done for you? And I'll, two things will happen when you answer that question. They're going to pause and then they're going to lean back. And then the second thing that's going to happen is they're going to start telling you about stuff that isn't in the job description that wasn't in the questions. And that gives you the opportunity as the candidate to reflect about how you might address those those problems. And so you've got information your competitors, the other candidates don't have, and that gives you an advantage. It also shows that you're thinking about what's keeping that manager up at night and thinking about how to make her or his life easier. So those are important. A couple of other things, pay attention to your body language. You know, you got, you got to be an active listener, nod, make eye contact, have a firm handshake. And finally, don't leave the room without asking for the job. And the way to do that is... Uh, can, uh, I just say I'm very excited. I'd love to come and work for you. And if you get bonus points if you add, is there any reason why or any concerns you have about me and my application? And sometimes they'll tell you things that typically would come up after you leave the room, and that gives you a, a, a bonus round to talk about those concerns. And then finally, don't leave the room without asking what their process is. What, what's the next step? When do you make a decision? If, uh, how are you going to notify candidates? And if I don't hear from you, who should I follow up with? These are professional, business-like questions. They're expected, and they allow you to do follow-up and not get freaked out if you don't hear in a week or two weeks or three weeks. Golden, Mac. Oh, my gosh, that was golden. I, I would also want to present what you said there that I tell people, especially young people, is by asking the kind of questions that you're suggesting we ask, that you're creating a dialogue versus an interview, and you're and, and therefore you're you're presenting more value for yourself. And I think that help lets people showcase their skills better and makes it more of a conversation versus a drilling. Yes, that, you're making such an important 
point, Elise, because I think people, some people, because they just haven't done the preparation or they don't know any better or they've limited experience, they think it's a cross-examination and their job is simply to answer questions. And your, your approach is so much better and effective because it becomes a conversation. And don't we all like conversations? Yes. We yes. do. Like, and like this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, and along those lines, Mac, another thing that I wanted to talk with you about, and I'm, I'm very aware of this with my younger students as well, is they, they seem, and others as well, not just younger people, but people in general seem to question that other professionals will actually take the time to meet with them as a job seeker for an informational interview, not for a job interview, for, but for an informational interview. And, and they, they question, well, why would they make time for me? What do you have to say about that? I hear that a lot, and not only from uh, people early in their career, but also mid-career and even senior professionals who haven't done uh, a lot of informational interviews. And I, I understand it. Um, I think it it comes up from lack of experience. When you start making these requests, you learn pretty quickly that the reason uh, – busy professionals say yes to these meetings are, are really twofold. One is the request is very specific, uh, and when people get turned down, it's usually because they make a general request like, could I pick your brain, or could we get together for coffee? But if you make a, uh, if you're clear about what you want, say you, uh, uh, you send a simple email that says, I'd like a 20-minute meeting, I'd like to get together with you for 20 minutes to talk about uh, opportunities in the field of marketing in Austin, um, uh, at least Cortez suggests I get in touch with you. And I, I'm, as you can see from the attached resume, I've uh, got considerable experience in the field and I'm available on these days at these times, but I'm happy to work on, with your schedule. That's pretty specific and that's probably going to get someone to say yes. The other reason that people, busy professionals, say yes is because they ask for these meetings themselves at whatever point they are in their career. And they, they recognize the value of, of informational interviews and, and they want to be of service to others. Uh, but I, I think the key thing here is at least you got to be specific when you make the request and be clear about what you want. Make it easy for the person to say yes to the appointment. That's gorgeous, Mac. Just gorgeous. I, I, I feel like you're really getting our listeners some really good meat here today. Thank you for all of this. It's fantastic. The next thing I wanted to talk about is mentors. I certainly know the, the value that, in my own life, certainly mentors and sponsors have had for me in my own career development. And so I'm interested in what advice you share with people to find a suitable one and how to navigate uh, in, in getting to a next move, if you will, and how can they reciprocate that mentor relationship? I think it's important to begin by understanding that mentors can come in different uh, play different roles in your career. Sometimes I think people, when they think of mentors, they think of Yoda and this all-wise, all-seeing figure who is going to be a constant in your professional life and who's going to commit to spending a lot of time with you. And mentors, um, they can help you with a specific question in your career, uh, maybe give you advice about... uh, you know, if you're considering going to grad school, how that might be helpful. And so you'll have different people that you turn to for advice. And it may be that you meet not once a month, but uh, maybe for a few times to discuss a specific challenge. Uh, and it's important 
you know, that you be respectful of mentor's time and be clear about uh, what you're looking help for help with. Uh, but it's, I, I think it begins by understanding what is the challenge that you need advice with and then identifying people who might be helpful in doing that and um, uh, and who, uh, particularly people who have accomplished that in the past. The thing that I would say just really quick to that is I think that many people want to matter. And so if we can presence how much a mentor matters to us, make sure they know how much they matter to us, that's probably pretty important. And then as you say, always you know, be in service back to them. But um, I've had one person made a huge difference in my life in Portland, Oregon, by the way, Mac, more than 30 years ago. I'm still in touch with him. I tell him how much I love him, how much he's changed and improved my life. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful relationship. No, that's terrific. That's a great story. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, we're running out of time here quickly, and there's two more questions for sure I want, I want to get out of you if I can. Um, I'm really, really intrigued that you have founded these two B Corp companies and use business as a force for good. Can you say a little bit about these companies and why you started them and, and how you run them? Sure. We, we've talked a little bit about MaxList, and it's an online community that serves up to 80,000 people a month. There's a job board, but lots of practical advice about job hunting. Most positions aren't posted on job boards. I started um, MaxList as a very simple newsletter 17 years ago because I wanted to serve my professional network, and it grew very slowly. But eight years ago, I, I turned it into a side business, and now it employs six people. Uh, my other company is Pritchard Communications. It's a social change public relations firm. We, we serve foundations, nonprofits, and purpose-driven brands. Um, and I've been doing communications work throughout my career. That's really been uh, the skill that I, I've, uh, that, that's how I've made a difference. And I talked a little bit about how I, after I came out of the University of Iowa, I wanted to, to work in politics and human rights advocacy and, and communications. I've had a lot of different jobs. Um, you know, I've worked in Central America. I've, I've been in D.C. and Boston working for nonprofits and elected officials um, and as, as well as public agencies and elected officials here in, governor, in, in Oregon. rather. But the constant that's run through all of them is wanting to make a difference about issues I care about and in the community where I, I live and work. And both of those companies allow me to do that because... Uh, there's nothing more gratifying, at least, than playing a small part and helping someone find a job they can love. And the work that we do at Pritchard Communications, we're helping our clients tell their stories to bring about change, not only in the Pacific Northwest, but we work with clients across the country as well. And that's very gratifying. And the people who work at both companies share those values. They want to have work with purpose and make a positive difference. And it's exciting to be able to come to work every day and do that. Well, that is a beautiful way to close our show, Matt. I want to thank you so much for coming on, your, on the show, sharing your passion, your wisdom, your experience with our listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lisa. It's, it, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. And if you want to learn more about Matt Pritchard and the work he does, one way to start is visit maxlist.org. You can find him that way and learn more about um, Pritchard's communications as well. And then join us next week when we're on the air with Steve Gavatorta. We'll be talking about his book, In Defense of Adversity. See you then. Remember that work is at least one third of our life, so 
both on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.